Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. As you know, we made the class a little bit later today because there was an in-person shiva in the backyard of the Weinstock home. Uh, Judy never came to this class per se, but she um, did live a life extremely devoted to uh, Jewish studies for her children, for many other children in the communities that she was a part of, which was Beth Am and by extension B'nai David and Temple Sinai, um, Sinai Temple, excuse me. And uh, it's a obviously big loss for her family, a big loss for this community. So we can dedicate our learning today to the memory of Yehudit Bat Libat Sivya the Yaakov. Uh, and we say, Yehizichra Baruch, may her memory be a blessing. Okay, we are in the third chapter of Shmot. <clears throat> and kind of lingering in ver- the verse 17, 18 stretch. And I say it that way because we st- we anticipated what Rashi is going to say in verse 18, although I don't know that we actually um, formally went through it and translated it. Maybe we did. But even if we did, I want to go back to get some of the momentum starting in verse 17 because this all kind of goes in a flow. So if you're in our pagination in the, in the Torah Chaim, it's page Lamed Chet into Lamed Tet, uh, whatever uh, book you're in, third chapter of Shemot, verse 17. Uh, God is uh, in, the, in the middle of several layers of quotation marks telling Moshe what to tell the elders whom he has um, gathered in the middle of that. God is reminding God's self out loud what God has declared. So it's either the third or fourth level of quotation marks in the beginning of verse 17. But Omar and, and I, God declared, I'll bring you up. From the impoverishment, from the deprivation of Egypt. To the land of the Canaanites. All those other in, um, residents of that land. El Ered Zavat Chalab Udvash towards the land that is flowing with milk and honey. We've discussed in different places that the milk here is almost certainly a reference to goat's milk. Uh, cattle were not nearly as common. And the devash is probably not um, bee honey, but silan, right? The, the liquid um, honey substance that comes out of a date, uh, kind of a date syrup. Most, um, most scholars believe that that's what is referred to here as devash. Um, I don't remember if we formally read verse 18, but uh, before, we, before we go there, does anyone have any lingering comments or c- questions on verse 17 in case we didn't fully finish that? No? Okay. So let's go to verse um, 18. And Tova, would you mind reading for us? Is Tova there? I can't hear you, Tova, if you're talking. Maybe you're not there. Okay. Okay. Okay, it's a big chunk. Let's see if we can break it down. Okay, uh, so let's see. Uh, and they will listen to the voice, to your voice, mm-hmm. uh, and you will come. Uh, 
you and the elders of Israel to the king of Egypt, and you will and you will say to him, you plural will say to him, um, Adonai, the God of the he- Hebrews, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, Nikra uh, have uh, has met us, and you has met us, and now let us go uh, uh, on, let's see, now let us go for, for three days, uh, let us go on the Derek, go on the way for three days into the wilderness um, that we may sacrifice to, to the Lord our God or to, to a, a, a God. Great. Really great. And now, now that you've translated, it reminds me that we did at least start this translation last week and you were um, sensitive to all of the specifics of the verse. The fact that the first verb um, that is addressed uh, to, well, it's actually the second verb in the sentence, but first we have a singular verb, ubata ata, you Moshe go, even though the Vizikne Israel, the elders of Israel are actually clearly part of that going. And then by the next verb, we're back into a plural verb. So it's a singular verb maybe focusing on Moshe's individual role there, uh, and then the plural of Amartem. You um, properly lingered over that word nikra. What does it mean to say that God karad upon us, happened upon us? Um, We'll play with that in the Rashi. And then this notion that um, God's message to Moshe as to what the message to Pharaoh should be is not that we are leaving you permanently, but all we want to do is go out for a, a, a three-day a three-day tour like the SS Minnow, which is someone <laughs> right. last week. Okay? And we will offer an, a, um, uh, an offering to Adonai, our God. Okay. Um, Rashi is going to have a lot to say on this verse, and we've kind of anticipated a bit what Rashi is going to say. So I want to get into that soon. But as is always the case, let's linger and see if there's anybody any um, comments or questions on the, the verse itself, on the shot, on the words, before we jump into the Rashi. Okay. The only thing I want to... Um, then do before the Rashi is just to hear a couple of different ways in which translations deal with the Nikra Alinu, because Rashi is going to play with that. So you might uh, be aware in your own mind that Kuf Resh Hey, in at least modern Hebrew, built obviously in ancient Hebrew, has to do with happenstance, a happening, mak, makore, what's going on, right? Kuf Resh Aleph, which pretty much sounds the same, um, is to call very specifically. It's almost the opposite of Kuf Reishe in some ways. And there's always an interesting question as to whether or not either of them is built off of Kuf Reish, which is cold, right? Which is, which is the opposite of intimacy. Um, I'll read you uh, Everett Fox's translation. And then if we have any other interesting ones, I'd love to hear them. Everett Fox, Everett, Everett Fox translates verse 18 the following way. They will hearken to your voice. That's the Vishamu. And you will come. I love how he does this here because he recognizes that singular verb into the plural verb. You will come, comma, you and the elders of Israel, because he notices that uvata already has the you in it, right? In Hebrew, after you have the uvata, you don't need the ata, which allows the ata of Zikne Israel to be a, a, more of a parenthetical clause within commas. You will come, comma, you and the elders of Israel, comma, to the king of Egypt and say to him, quote, Yud Hey, uh, he writes it out Y H W H. The God of the Hebrews has met with us. He goes with meat for Kara, 
So now, comma, pray let us go a three days journey. He, uh, Ever Fox often translates the untranslatable na uh, in Hebrew as a pray, like a, a softening of a request. Three days journey into the wilderness and let us slaughter, and he puts in parentheses, offerings to Yud, to YHWH, our God. The reason he does that is that we we kind of, it's, it's implied that there's something that's going to be slaughter, slaughtered. But in the Hebrew, there's no direct object to the root zoveach. V'nizbacha, we will slaughter. What will we slaughter? He puts in parentheses, offerings to Adonai, our God. So a lot of interesting um, translation choices there, including to add in words that are implied but are not actually there. Um, who has some other um, interesting translations that they want to share before we look at the Rashi? Um, Larry, you usually have a few interesting ones on the table. Any? Barbara? Can't hear you, Barbara. Can't hear you yet. There you go. Instead of offerings, I've got sacrifice in two different sources. Uh-huh. So adding in a, adding in that direct object. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Rick? Um. What what little I know about Egypt is that when they would worship uh, each god, um, each city had their own little festival, and all the people would gather there. And um, the three day thing, um, it wasn't just to Ladonai, but it was Ladonai and then Eloheinu, which I always see as the plural also. So to appeal to uh, Pharaoh and and the way gods are worshipped there, um, it it um, it would go with what he was used to it, in what a people would do to worship their god. I, I don't know if we've covered that before, but um, I thought I'd throw that in there. Um, and then the, the whole thing is, well, who gets to go those three days? Well, you can go, with, you know, with your elders, but not the kids, and and uh, so that's the issue later. Yeah. yeah. Very nice. Very interesting way of, of dealing with why Adonai and Elohim was in there, <clears throat> specifically in the what's going to be addressed directly to, to Pharaoh. Good. Uh, Renee and then Larry and Larry Diane. Napperstein says, uh, they'll listen to your voice. You and the elders of Israel shall come to the king of Egypt and say to him, Hashem, the God of the Hebrews, happened upon us. Happened, okay. Uh, and, and now the three-day journey in the wilderness will bring offerings to Hashem, our God. Good. So also uh, adds in the offerings as a direct object. So we had um, meet by Ever Fox, happening by um, the one you just read. JPS translates it, I think it's manifest. Yeah, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews manifested himself to us. Um, one, of those is, one of those is correct, or maybe if you combine them all together, they're correct. Larry, Diane? So I'll read three translations, but then I have a, I have a, I have a comment, uh, if, I, if I can. Yeah. Um, Altar says, and they will heed your voice, and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and together you shall say to him, quote, the Lord, God of the Hebrews, happened upon us, and so let us go pray three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. So he's, he's a happen. And uh, Ari Kaplan says, they will take what you say seriously. That's interesting. That's great. He, he's always interpretive. You and the elders of Israel will then go to the king of Egypt. You must tell him. Huh. yud heh God of the Hebrews, revealed himself to us. 
Now we request that you allow us to take a three-day journey into the desert to sacrifice to Yudhe Vavhe, our God. I, I commented previously, this is the only section where he does that in terms of translating um, <clears throat> God's name that way. And uh, Art Scroll, I don't think anybody's read Art Scroll yet. Art Scroll says, sorry, they will heed your voice. You and the elders of Israel shall come to the king of Egypt and say to him, Hashem, the God of the Hebrews, happened upon us. So there also happened. And now please let us go on a three-day journey into the wilderness, and we may bring offerings to Hashem, our God. My comment is, there are three possibilities that either they discover that one discovers God, I found God, or God reveals um, God's self to one, which is translated here, or it's passive, which is what's translated in most of the cases, it, ha- it happened. And I'm reminded of the story that Jonathan Sachs wrote about and told many times, which I'm sure many of you have heard, when he went to go see the Rebbe, and the Rebbe was very influential in his life, even though he was not, uh, he was not Chabad. And he told the rabbi, um, rabbi, the Rebbe asked him, what are you doing, or something like that. And he told him, well, I happen to find myself. And the Rebbe responded, you don't happen to find yourself. And I don't remember the exact words, but it was a diatribe of, uh, uh, against happening to find yourself and actually actively putting yourself in a position. I'm probably butchering your story only slightly, but the way in which it's translated here in the Nikra, it's, it bothers me that, that we would be so passive and it would be so happenstance we would happen to find ourselves, as opposed to wanting that story to be very active. Yeah. Uh, either God revealed God's self or... And I know it's not part of the story. Moses found God and found a, a reason to go back to Egypt to free his people, which is the way I prefer to think about it. But it's obviously not there in the story. Yeah. So that's my comment. So much to say there. Just on the last one, um, I, th- I think in the JPS commentary or the Itzchaim commentary, it compares near, um, Nikra here to near Ah, right? Which would be the more, it's, it's a different route, but it's, uh, rather than a happening or a, a passive manifestation, a, um, a revelation, right? Um, so you can compare Kufresh He to Kufresh Aleph to happen or to call. You can also uh, compare Nikra to Nirha. Um, and also remember, and this gets confusing, that we also have to ask the question, not only why is that verb used, but why is that verb used in what, in what God wants to be said to Pharaoh, which might be different than how God wants the Israelites to actually have experienced God's presence, right? Is there something about, about the, it being a happening and not some kind of grand revelation that's significant in terms of what's being communicated to Pharaoh? And Rashi's proof text that we will get to um, in this class will compare it to Bilam's uh, experience with God. And Bilam's experience with God in Parshat Balak is often contrasted with Moshe's experience with God. So there's going to be a bit of a, a tri- triangula- triangulation here as we play at this route. The thing you said just before that, though, also uh, raise a comment for me, but now I can't remember what it was. Mm. Oh, is it Arya Kaplan? Is he the one who has the more kind of, uh, f- you know, free flowing translation? Yes. 
yeah, he turns it into really w- wonderful English sentences, which, you know, um, make it easier to listen to. And he makes some really interesting editorial choices there in terms of, um, in terms of how he's rendering some of this. Will you read that verse one more time in Arya Kaplan? They will take what you say seriously, period. You and the elders of Israel will then go to the king of Egypt, period. You must tell him, yud Hey vav Hey, or it actually says Y-H-V-H, God of the Hebrews revealed himself to us, period. Sorry. Now we, now we request that you allow us to take a three-day journey into the desert to sacrifice to yud Hey vav Hey, our God. I see. So he, very loud. <laughs> Somebody said the door. Go ahead. Um, I'm just going to mute you for a second. Um, the the way he handles handles the na was the one I wanted to to talk about. That we, we we now make this request. He puts, which is exactly what the na is doing, right? It, it's representing a politeness, but it's it's interesting how how he which English words he uses to translate that that small Hebrew syllable. Great. Thank you, Larry. Um, I saw Tova's hand up uh, next, I think. So go ahead, Tova. Uh, okay. Uh, Rick actually spurred this idea. I'd never thought of it before. And if I can get a little historical Egyptology nerdy here for a minute. Please. Um, if we are, as is certainly a strong possibility, picturing this in the Delta in the early 19th dynasty of the Ramesses, um, one of the chief deities is Set. And Set was a the desert, which I never thought he's associated with the desert. And not only was he a chief god of the desert, but it's, it is demonstrated uh, that many Asiatics who came and settled in the Delta adopted Set because of similarities with their own gods. So there was an association there. And also that dynasty, because their family came from that area, had adopted Set. In fact, the founder of the dynasty had been a priest of Set. Mm. And the second member, the first was Ramesses I. His son was Seti I, the first pharaoh in millennia, practically, to take the name of Set. So invoking, particularly that we're going into the desert, it, it just really hits me that, again, as Rick suggested, a ploy, if you will, to suggest that this is what we're going to worship. But that, that connection just never occurred to me before. But it's actually very strong historically at that time. Fascinating. So. <laughs> really fascinating. That, that, and that's the kind of insight that you, you, you really do need a historian to get to. <laughs> like, that's just not going it, to – it might be – Something is that you're revealing is present in the text, but the text doesn't text doesn't lead us there. So that's really yeah. <laughs> um, Elon. I think was next, then Joanna. I want to get back to the word "happened," and I agree with you that uh, I think that the use of the word "happened" is for Pharaoh's benefit. But I might suggest a different reason, which is because "happened" is, is passive; it's less threatening to Pharaoh. In other words, the Jewish, the uh, the Israelite people were not looking for something. They were minding their own business, going about their daily slave life. And God, you know, they happened upon this, right? They, they were perfectly content. And so it's far less threatening to Pharaoh than a, a, a different interpretation might be. Interesting. So like a, 
it, it, you know, softening what God might want the Israelites to experience as God's presence in their life. The message is to Pharaoh. It, we, 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 we were not, and we are still not looking to leave you, but we have this, it's like, we have this, someone offered us tickets to the game, right? So, someone gave us this opportunity and we're, we're going to go do it and we'll be back soon. It, it's, it's lower stakes. Um, yeah, that's really, really interesting. And also something that we'll, we'll, we'll pick up again when we get to Rashi's commentary on, uh, on that word, Mikra. Um, great. Joanna and then Rick. So um, I'm finding this discussion around, um, you know, was B'nai Yisrael active or passive quite fascinating? And I agree with the comments about, you know, maybe this is how this is all being presented to Paro. And yet, it takes me back to the end of chapter two and the discussion of the, that those last few verses at the end of chapter two are very much interrelated and dependent upon each other, that the Israelites groaned. And, and then it, the text tells us that God heard their cry. And why then? Because the Israelites needed to be active. They needed to take that first step. And, It still puts me, though, in the mindset of where the Israelites are now. Okay, maybe they took that first step and cried out, but they are still suffering. They are still under severe bondage. There's only so much that they can do. And at least according to, you know, rabbinic interpretation, we see that last all the way until they get to the sea. That, you know, they're standing at the sea and nothing is happening. And it takes Nachshon to finally make that first jump in for something to happen. So that that need to be active is a process that takes a while to come to terms with and to come to learn how to use that. Yeah. Um, right. And, and still today, right. Um, I, you know, I, I just finished Minion and I'm trying to think like, what, what do I think is supposed to be happening? A Minion. Am I knocking on God's door saying I'm available now? Can you, are you available for a visit or, Am I just putting my, am I, is it more passive that I'm, is it a passive priming of the pump that I'm just actually putting myself in a situation not to like invite God in as if it should be on my schedule, but actually just allow for a, a happening to happen, right? Because even in English, the, the fact that a happening happens can be passive or actually, um, priming the pump so that's like an active decision to prime the pump so that something passive can happen right like a plan a planned spontaneity i think a lot of relationships you know amongst humans and in the spiritual realm have to do with a, a planned or primed spontaneity putting us in a position that a really interesting happening can happen even if we can't um know in advance exactly how or when i think a lot of beautiful moments emerge that way and i find that if I, if I look at my own prayer life writ large, it's in that category that it's not that I have been able to indicate in advance with specificity that I'm going to be, I'm going to have a revelatory moment now. Like I, I don't really beckon God in that way. Who am I to beckon God? But over a lifetime of being ready for it, open to it, um, prepared for it, sometimes there is a kuf reish hey happening that feels like a kuf reish aleph calling out. So I do think that those um, notions are, are, um, are intertwined and it, and it speaks to the way in which we try to ex- experience God's call or God's presence even today. 
so thank you for that, Joanna. Um, Rick, and then I do want to get to the Rashi because we've been anticipating the Rashi for quite some time. I want to make sure we actually play into it. Rick. Um, just a little bit more on the on the Kuf Resh Hay or Kuf Resh Aleph. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, if I could remind us back in verse 16, it was near Ah Eli with the Aleph. Um, Elohei Avotechem near Ah Eli. That's what you're supposed to tell the elders um, and the trope there, mapach basha munasakekaton, and then okay, then here we have nikra. It's what you're supposed to say to Pharaoh. Elohev haivrim haivriyim nikra with the with a hay on the end alenu. That's the same trope there. But then when they actually get to Pharaoh in chapter five, verse three. Uh, the trope is different, so they don't do that like they're supposed to. And then they use Nikra with an Aleph on the end. So I just wanted to highlight that. Is that true? Five? Yeah, it's Nikra. Yeah, 5-3. I'm looking right at it. That is really interesting. I, 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 I never connected that. Let's look at that for a second. That's That, that triple. And then the trope there, Rabbi, the Pazer on the Nechana, that's more intense than it was before, where it's just a gear shayim. Yeah. So if we, if we linger on that for a second, I'm so appreciative of that comment, Rick. Comparing our verse to five three, and then and and then we'll go back and 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 compare to the other verse you connected us to, which is the near ah. That when the moment that's being anticipated now actually happens, when there's actually an encounter um, with um, with Pharaoh, and it happens in several stages, right? Um, that there's chapter five begins with um, with their uh, speaking to Pharaoh, and then Pharaoh responds, and then verse three, by Yomru they said, nikra aleinu. So it's it's almost sorry, it, it, it's almost seems like a quote from our verse, right? This notion of the God of the Hebrews, but it's a very interesting switch from Kufresh Hey happening to Kufresh Aleph calling out and then a continuation of the language from our verse right let us go three days journey and we will um and we will uh, w- worship worship our god there i'm looking to see how uncleish translates the nikra there fascinating itgale so uncleish translates our nikra in our verse the kufreshe as the aramaic verse of it itkare but translates the nikra kufresh aleph in this verse as itgale to be revealed, to be revealed. So that that's a really worthy thing that I don't have an answer to as to what's going on such that when the interaction actually happens, Moshe switches from kufresh hey to kufresh aleph. Great, really great, Rick. Uh, Barbara, uh, sorry. Varen wants to say something, but she can't raise her hand on the machine. So she called me and asked me to ask you to put call her. Who who is that? Varen, please call oh. on Varen. Varen, bevakasha. Okay, can you hear me? I'm sorry, I have some computer issue. Finally, I was able to get in touch with the group. So Boker Top, um, regarding the verb that we were discussing. I believe that at the end of the last session, when we met, I said that this verb means revolution, like hit galut. And 
And I remember that in the story of Bilam, there is also the same thing in Bamidbar. And it says there, Vaikar Elokim El Bilam Vayomer. So he revealed himself. He appeared in front of Bilam. That verb is not to be understood as Kufresh Hey, but we know that in ancient languages, in my research, it says Knanit. The verb means to, uh, like I say, to reveal revelation. And the same thing happened in the story of Bilam. Are you still going, Verid? No, I'm done. <laughs> I couldn't tell if there was a, if that was a comma or a period. Okay. Great. Okay. Oh, okay. Great. And um, now that Rick has pointed us to the comparison of verse 5-3 and the question about whether or not Moshe changed the verb, and I guess Larry and Deanne's suggestion of Occam's razor that the simplest answer is the best one or the correct one, which is a remi- which is similar to the um, scholarly, scholarly notion of legio difficultare, that um, the, 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 the more... Come, the, the harder to understand version of the text is probably the right one because it's more likely that it was changed to a simpler one than changed to a more complex one. Everett Fox translates these two verbs exactly the same. In our verse, the Nikra Kuf Resh He is the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And in 5 3, Kuf Resh Aleph, Everett Fox says, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. So Everett Fox who knows Hebrew and knows roots is, um, is with you, Larry and Diane and Occam saying that this is the same verb that somehow, uh, and, and do not, you know, do not assume that when Letterman changed the hay to an Aleph, it was intentional. I'm not so sure, but I'm, but I, but I'm, I'm in totally intrigued. And I'd, I'd never picked up on that till until Rick uh, pointed that out, that it's a, almost a verbatim except for one letter. Okay. With all of that richness hovering, let's go to uh, Rashi because we've been we've been uh, yes, thank you, Joel. Uh, we've been talking about that for some time. So, Tova, I think we're back up to you, and let's and um, um, let's get to the Rashi on Vishamu Kolecha, which is going to bring us back actually to something we were discussing the previous week in terms of um, the persuasiveness of Moshe's argument from the perspective of the Israelites. Uh, I think I'm going to pass the buck on the Rashi. I'm not up to that. <laughs> okay. Um, so, eeny, uh, meeny, miny, Joanna, do you want to read the Rashi Vishamula Kolecha? We don't hear you yet, Joanna. Okay. Sure. Give me one second. Sure. Sorry, I was still on Exodus 5, just flipping back. Not a problem. So it's 318. Yes. Mm-hmm. And before you translate, this is one of the rare, but it happens, Rashi's, where there are several different versions of the Rashi text itself. Um, so the one that we have in the Eitz Chaim 
sorry, the Torah Chaim begins with the word Mikivan. There are versions of the Rashi that have one word before that as its own sentence, and that word is Me'elehem. So, therefore, the Rashi would read, Bishamu lekolecha, quote from the verse, and they will listen to your voice, Me'elehem, on their own, of their own accord, and then the, 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 the um, commentary that's about to begin, and our version in the Torah Chaim did not, did not have that. And later on in this Rashi, there's an entire comment of Rashi's that appears in some versions of Rashi, but not in our version. So with that in mind, translate from the part that we have in front of us. Um, um, s- since um, you will say to them um, in this language, um, listen to your voice, they should listen to your voice um, because they had this as a sign um, that was passed into their hands from Jacob and Joseph um, because in this language, um, in this language, it was um, that they would be redeemed Right, let me pause you right there. Joanna or someone else, Rashi's now used the word Lashon Zet, this language, twice. What do we think Rashi is referring to with Lashon Zet, this language? We were lingering on it last week, but we got distracted with other things in this verse this week. Anyone? I mean, from the rest of the commentary, he's picking up on the use of the word Pakod in all Pakod. these places. Yeah, exactly. So we're... We're on verse 18, but if you go back to verse 16, right? We, we anticipated this verse 18, two verses, which are probably three or four classes ago, but it's, it's, you have, we have to remind ourselves of it. Otherwise, this Rashi won't make sense. Go back to verse 16, beginning the fifth Aliyah. Lech asafta, go gather at Zigne Israel, the elders of Egypt. And you say to them, Adonai Elohei Avotechem. The God, who is the God of your ancestors, near Ah, uh-huh, appeared to me, Elohei Abraham Yitzchak Yaakov, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, meaning God said, this is what I should say to you. And Rashi saying, these are key words. These are like, these are like, um, you know, uh, a shibboleth, right? It's going to indicate instantly that I come with a certain amount of um, authority. Pakod Tell them, wink, wink. That I, God, said, I verily will remember you. I will verily account you uh, and that which is done to you in Egypt. Rashi imagines that we were reading more quickly and we remember that that's the language. The God told Moshe to tell the um, elders and that language, Lashon Zeh, will mean that Shamula Kolecha, they're going to listen to you instantly. For, now keep translating, Joanna. Um, I- um, as Jacob said to them, um, God will indeed redeem you. And as Joseph said to them, um, God will indeed redeem you. Good. So I want to bring up those verses onto the screen. So hold on, on a second. Okay. So this is not that long ago in our class, right? I, I think this is before Joanna, you joined this class, but it was not that long ago. It was pre-pandemic that we uh, did a arsium on the entire book of, of Breshit. And in the last chapter of Breshit, Barshat Bayechi, we've got some prediction going forward because there's no chronology in the Torah. The, the you know, Breshit knows about Shemot and Shemot knows about Breshit in some 
weird um, time warpy Mobius strip kind of way. And in, in verse three, verse 24, chapter 50, but in the, um, in, in this, uh, at the end of Yosef's life, by Yomer Yosef el Joseph said to his brothers, I'm dying. Ve'elohim pakod yivkod etchem. Wink, wink, underline, underline, bold, bold. God will verily remember you, or how is it translated here? Will take notice of you. Ve'helad chem min ha'aretz azot will take you out of this land. El ha'aretz to the land. Asher nishbat la'raham litzchak v'yakov to the land that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then look at the next verse, verse 25. Vayash Yosef. This is the kind of the hefeel of, 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 um, of the word to swear. So this is not Yosef swearing, but um, making them swear uh, at, 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 at the, the children of Israel. Lay more saying, Pakod Yifkod Elohim Etchem, God will verily um, remember you, take care of you, Behelitem et Mizet, and please bring up my bones. So in successive verses, Joseph mentions Pakod Yifkod, verily remember, verily take account. And Rashi says, when our verse says, Vishamula Kolecha, remember we said that when we first translated this last week, we said this is not a if they listen to your voice, but they will. This is a prediction. It's a Nebuah. They will listen. How do I, God, know they will listen? Because they are primed to listen because they've been told for generations that a redemption is going to come to the language of Pakod Yivkod. Okay. That's the basic shot of Rashi. Um, can anyone, based on what I just said, recognize like a really good um, challenge to Rashi or like a weakness of it. Norm's raising his vi- digital and real hand, which means he's got something <laughs> to say. Um, Rashi says, this comes one line from Jacob and one line from Joseph, but we have got no Jacob in here. It's all both lines from Joseph. Right. It's a fascinating thing that, that um, Rashi says. Ra- and Ra- Rashi knows that we're going to go check the verses and so Rashi knows whether we check the verses, we're going to remind ourselves that we didn't know it by heart, that this is Joseph twice, not Jacob Joseph. Um, look at footnote 5, uh, 96, at least in our books, right? Um, Joanna, do you have the, Chaim, the Torah Chaim in front of you? You don't have it? No, I'm have, reading from a different, I'm reading from a Mikrot Gedolot. Okay, so in our Mikrot Gedolot, there is a footnote to this very point. So Baruch Shekivanta, Norm, footnote 96 on the, um, on the on the word Miyakov Umiosef, that this is a sign from the generations from Jacob and Joseph. Footnote ninety six. Bishmot Rabbah, in Shmot Rabbah, the Midrash and Shmot, uh, chapter three, Mishta eight, eight. It says Rak Miyosef, meaning in the Midrash from which Rashi is ostensibly getting this, it properly says from Joseph and not from Jacob. Umistaber, and the resolution is it makes sense. We do not find, as Norm pointed out, that Jacob ever said this explicitly. But rather, we saw that Yosef said it twice in the very verses that we just looked at. And Rashi's kind of taking some liberty saying, Why did jo- Joseph say it twice? Because he said it in his name, and he said it in Jacob's name, the um, Ayin Ramban and Chizkuni. Look at the Ramban and the Chizkuni who say similar things. So that's the first interesting thing on this comment that Rashi's bringing a proof text and kind of slipping in there. Jacob did this, and Joseph did it. It was just Joseph. The key is that these words were going to instantly indicate that something that that, that this is a, a, a believable, verifiable redemption story.
Okay, let me pause here for comments and questions, but I want to add one other thing that's not on our page um, that's uh, contributed uh, on a midrashic level here. Anyone? Larry, Diane? Well, just briefly, this is a question of what we talked about, I think Diane mentioned before, passwords or signaling or whatever. So in defense of, 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 um, of Rashi, I think it, it happens quite often that if you use a certain language, you're signaling to someone that um, they know it. The examples I can, I can think of are um, both in, in the positive direction and negative direction. When Diane and I interject Hebrew phrases into our speech to Hebrew speakers, it basically signals, hey, we speak a little Hebrew at least, or we have that same background. To non-Hebrew speakers, they're really annoyed. Yeah. Why are we using words like dafka, which I don't understand, which I personally can't translate into English very well anyways, but then it gets them, gets them annoyed. Diane's father also had an expression he used to use when he was satisfied. He used to say, my, my sufficiency is serensified, which doesn't really mean anything. But anybody in our family who, who hears that knows we're talking about Diane's, Diane's father. So signaling matters, and signaling in this case, you assume, could be passed down through the generations. Rabbi Pressman of Blessed Memory liked to wish me salutary sabbatical salutations, right? Because uh, he loved words, and he loved English, and he loved alliteration, and that was, that, was, that was more lyrical than Shabbat Shalom. And so when I wish people salutary sabbatical salutations, I'm either being, like, annoyingly verbose or keying to people that I remember Rabbi Pressman and I honor him, right? Um, and we do a version of this all the time, and we do it unconsciously. I'm totally aware, as a conservative rabbi, that when I'm in a setting with, with some significant percentage of Orthodox Jews, I code my language in such a way to indicate that, that I, be, I belong with them, that I speak their language too, so that somehow my words will be more accepted. I, 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 I turn up the from speak, right? And we all do a version of that, which makes the following thing even more interesting. So I, as you know, I have, I have several books in front of me, uh, including the Torah Chayim that we're reading out of. I also have this book that I quote from occasionally, which is not Pshuto Shel Rashi, but it's a, it's a chumash called Kip, uh, Pshuto Shel Mikra and Rashi Kip Shuto. Um, and he brings lots of interesting uh, super commentaries and, uh, um, and Midrashim, that are adjacent to what Rashi is dealing with. And he brings a really interesting one here. So Muvab Midrash, it's brought in the Midrash in Shmot Rabbah, chapter five, Mishnah, uh, Midrash two. So close to the one that we were just referencing before. Amar Rabbi Chama, Rabbi Chama said, Ben shana nitlash Moshe Rabbeinu mibet Aviv. We learned that um, Moses was 12 years old when he left his um, birth parents home and came to live in the palace. Lama came. Why? Why did the story not um, permit itself to be that he lingered longer with his family before he became Ben Bayat in the, um, in the palace? Had he spent more time in his birth parents home? Uva and came and said to the Israelites, Hamasim, all of these things, and used the key language of pakod pakati, lo maminim. They would have believed him less. Why? Shahyu um, omrim aviv masralo. They would have said, "Well, 
anyway, of course he's in this language. We've been hearing for generations in our homes that a redeemer is going to come with pakod, pakarati language. Lefishi Yosef Masral Levi, because Joseph passed it to Levi, but Levi lekahat, and Levi passed it to Kahat, and Kahat to Amram. Kahat passed it to Amran, and Amram is the father of Moshe. So according to one genealogy, Moshe is the great, 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 great grandson of the person who gave this language. That's why he was plucked from that ancestral home young enough such that that when he came and said these things to the Israelites, they would believe him because they would know that's the, the only way he could have learned this language is not from his parents and grandparents, but there must have been a revelation. Quoting a chapter ahead, chapter four, verse 31, they believed him. Why they believed him? because there's no other way he would have had that inside baseball language. So it's not only an indication of the fact that Pakod Pakad Pakadati has been passed through, but that Moshe needed plausible deniability to make his knowing that inside language more, more, um, more meaningful uh, and, and therefore more believable. Okay. Um, I feel at some point I may have unintentionally cut off Joanna in the middle of of your translating and commenting on the Rashi itself. Is there anything that you more wanted to say in that moment, Joanna? No, I think we got to the end of that Rashi. Okay. Good. Um, I also see there are now 11 things in the chat. Should I be paying attention to that? Um, and that's, I have no idea. Uh, your question, Joanna, at 931 to the two versions of Nikra, Aleph Hay would it have been the same root letters in Egyptian or another standing word altogether. That's a good question. I do not know. Uh, maybe Tova knows. I don't know. Um, Okay, let's uh, see. Um, I, I had said in my email that I can stay another uh, 13 minutes to, uh, to make it more of an hour-long class. So if you can stay with me, great. If not, uh, obviously, people have made their schedules way in advance, and so uh, I will not be insulted if, if you leave. Okay, um, the, next, um, the next words in our text is Rashi commenting on Nikra Alenu, which we've been spending so much time on I want to get to, but... There are some versions. Does anybody have a version of Rashi in front of them where the next words in the Rashi commentary are not his commenting on Nikra Alenu, but rather on Elohe Ha'ivri'im? No? Okay. So I want to read this. This also comes from um, one of the many Rashi commentaries I, I have in front of me. Um, this is. I have it in mine. You have it in yours, Barry? Okay. So um, in, my, in, in one of the books I have in front of me, it's attributed to Birashi Yashan, to an old Rashi, I don't know, an old manuscript of Rashi. It, what's interesting is usually because our version of the Torah Chaim is such a scholarly work, they've checked all the manuscripts and they include it, but per, put it in parentheses saying, Bitfus Rishon Leita, right? It's not in the first printing. The fact that it doesn't appear even in parentheses in our text, by our I mean the one that most of us use the Torah Chaim, suggests it's even less likely that it's Rashi because um, it, it's just more suspect. If it had been less suspect, they would have included it an asterisk. The fact that it doesn't appear at all is strange, but I still want to read it because it's an interesting comment, even though it's probably not Rashi. So, the God of the Hebrews. If you look at that, that word in the middle of 18, that's what he's commenting on. It doesn't say Ivrim one Yud, Ella Ha'ivri'im, the two Yud Hebrews. Beyud Yetera. It's an extra Yud, right? You could have said Elohei Ha'ivrim, the God of the Hebrews. It's like Ivri 
um, as an adjective means a Hebrew, and to pluralize that, you could just plural it as Ivrim. This is Ivriim. And what does uh, the extra Yud in Gematria is 10? Remez le'eser makot. This is a hint at the 10 plagues that that God of the Hebrews is going to use to bring the Israelites out of Egypt, which brings us to something that Rashi is going to say on the next verse regarding how much force and power it's going to take to have this redemption take place. So um, it's, it's, it's a sweet Rashi does not do a lot of gematria in general. So it makes sense that it wouldn't be Rashi. Um, but I wanted to throw that in there, that there's this um, interpretation of the extra Yud in the God of the Hebrews. Rick, your hands up. Where was that from before? Um, yes. Hi. Just because you mentioned the plagues, that's the only big difference between uh, 5-3 and where we are now is at the end of it, um, they go, if you don't let us go worship in the desert, right. so the plagues are there. So I think it's great that the, the plagues are here in the extra yud. Yeah. Yeah. And they're either there or they're not there. And sometimes an extra yud is just a cigar. Right. But I'm fine. Okay. So now, Joanna, we're back to you with the, with the, the next piece that is m- more certainly Rashi on Nikra Aleinu. And we spent so much interesting time on Pakod Yifkod that we probably will not complete our conversation on Nikra Aleinu, even though we've been setting it up now for a few weeks. So go ahead. Nikra Aleinu, Lashon Mikra. Vehain Vayikar Elohim Vanochi Ekreko. Nikra Alenu is um, the language of uh, just a happening, I would translate it here. Right. Um, the thing is, there's probably Mikre, right? The noun of, uh, of, of the verb Mikrot is a Mikre, a, happen, a happening, a thing that took place. Um, um, comparable to. Um, and God happening, God happened. Right. And so and, I want to give you the, the reference that I think Vered was pointing us to this a few minutes ago, and we were talking about it a few minutes before that. The, one of the places where this root is most interesting is in the interaction between God and the non-Hebrew prophet Bilam, um, who keeps getting visited by God. So that Vayikar Elohim in our verse is a shortening of Vayikar Elohim El Bil'am, which is in the 23rd chapter of the book of, of the Midbar, verse four. So here you have it right in front of you. Vayikar Elohim El Bil'am. Uh, tra- I, f- I forgot which translation happens to be the standard translation on uh, Safari. Maybe it's old JPS. I don't think it's new JPS. But I, don't, I don't even know what it is. Um, God manifested himself to Balaam by Yomer Love and, 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 the, and the continuation of that. So Rashi brings this. And we also have a few verses later, Va'anochi Ikareko, which is an even more interesting construct. And wait till you see how this translated here. Vayomer el Balak, so Bilam, the prophet says to Balak, the king who hired him, al stay here uh, amongst or uh, kind of supervising your your sacrifices, your offers, offerings. Vaanochi ikareko, I will. It's a nifal. It's a it's a future nifal of the root kara. I 
it's so hard to render into English, and you can see that because look, look what it's done here. I will, well, I seek a manifestation yonder. Uh, that almost sounds like a jokey translation, but it's um, it's an older fashioned English attempt to try to render the kuf resh hey in the future tense and somehow making sense of it of something simply happening by manifestation. But I'm also I, I'm the verb. I'm the subject of the verb, not God, right? It, above, it was God as the subject. Now, maybe this is davening. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek manifest, manifestation yonder at Minyan. I'm going to make myself available, possibly, for a visitation by God by happenstance. Right? It's really an interesting thing going on. Larry, go ahead. Larry, Diana, who's had a hand up? Yeah, yeah Alter, Alter goes even further. Oops, sorry, I muted, I muted you by accident. Sorry, I was trying to lower your hand. Go ahead. Okay, can you mean it? Yeah, I'm on. Uh, Alter goes even further. He says, and, and he said to Balak, station yourself here by your burnt offering, and I myself shall, shall, shall seek some chance. Chance is like gambling. Yeah, it's, it's really great. That's Alter on the verse in, in Numbers? Yeah. In, in, I will seek some chance. It's wow. just... It's absolutely, yeah. Uh, if I if I see that uh, Arya Kaplan has anything interesting, I'll let you know. It's really hard to do because the whole notion of kuf reish hey as simply happening suggests that it's happening to us. In fact, there's a super commentary in Rashi here that says this is a weird proof text for Rashi to bring because it suggests, the second of the two suggests that Bilam was in charge of that moment, which is the opposite of it, of something happening. And so... In fact, uh, most people believe that the reason why Rashi quotes the first one by Yikarlohim and quotes the second one, Vanochi Yikareko, but then he has to qualify the second one in those last three or four words that I'm not sure you translated yet, Joanna, or if you did translate again, Ehe Nikre Meito Halom. How do you translate that? That is to say, um, I will meet him over there, there. Yeah, so the halom is either there or here, funny enough. And 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 the way Rashi translates the ikare is an ehe nikre meito, I will allow myself to be met from with him something there. Right? So lest you think Rashi's saying that by the by the fact that Bilam is the subject of this verb, he's the one making the appointment happen, he's simply making himself open to the possibility that the appointment will happen, but it's still God's happening to him, not him happening to God, right? It's actually a very complex idea. And I think it does relate to what we're trying to do um, in prayer. And in some ways more interesting to discuss it there than simply to figure out what God was communicating that Moshe should say to Pharaoh, right? Can I, I just tell you that, that Arya Kaplan is very consistent and kind of supports, I think, what you're saying here. Remember, Arya Kaplan translated... Uh, the Nikra back in, in, in Shemot as God revealed himself, right? That's yeah. what he did instead of happened. And here he says in, 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 um, in Bamidbar um, that Balaam says to Balak, and I will go yonder and seek a vision. Seek a vision. So, yeah. so in that sense, so if God reveals himself, we can be active in f- making ourselves available to see that revelation, to seek a vision. Yeah, 
Good. And I'll call on Barry in a second, but just look at what Rashi says on the verse in Bamidbar. This is now Rashi on that verse, Ikareko, which is again very hard to translate. I will be met there. Even me'et is hard with, from, as a result of the Holy One. Ikare lashon et pa'el. He says this is a, um, this is um, not only, it, it, um, it's not only pa- uh, passive, but it's passive reflexive. Et pa'el. I will somehow allow myself to be met by God there. Lest you think that it's an active thing that Bilam is initiating. Barry? So our, our difficulty with English and Hebrew to describe God's reality uh, is that God's reality is outside of our languages. Um, God introduced God's name as Echia, Asher Echia. We had difficulty with that. We left it with difficulty. Uh, God, God's becoming is God becoming. And, and that all began with the the, the, the Bereshit is the becoming is always the becoming. And we don't even know what this means. So uh, yeah, um, God, uh, God's appearance and, and, and our reality of God's appearance will be what God's appearance is. Yes. And, and, and you've tried to define it's impossible because it's outside of our language. That's very helpful. Buddy. I love the connecting back to uh, yeah, Asher. Uh, yeah. How, how will I be? I will be how I will be. How will I manifest? I will manifest how I will manifest. What will your experience of me be? Your experience of me will be your experience of me. Right. And, and and anything more concrete than that is almost a, a diminution of God's godness. Um, lovely, Barry. Uh, Joanne, you get the last comment. Um, this whole thing that we're discussing um, about, you know, who is making the appointment happen and who is showing up um, and how that relates to our prayer experience takes me to how we start our prayer experience. The very first words traditionally said when entering a shul are matovu, Bilam's words. And it always kind of puzzled me, like, why choose his words? Um, you know, not a Jewish prophet's words, you know, from, so to speak, from outside our tradition to be the opening words. And it has new meaning for me now, because in light of this discussion, maybe that's exactly what we're supposed to be thinking about when we say those words. I've given the first 20% of that little sermonette many times that look how wonderful that we are a particular tradition, but we're open to inspiration from the outside. And that when we walk into our very particular sanctuaries, we invoke a non-Hebrew prophet because, um, because his ability to bless the Israelites, we should be able to, we should be able to accept that blessing and emulate it. But you're taking it a step further. You're almost saying that, that based on this Ikare Kara conversation, Bilam is in his own way, a paradigm for being in a prayerful place, opening open to God's uh, voice and impact. I'm really moved by that. And I'll just, as a, as a last, last comment, Everett Fox on that verse in um, Numbers, Ba'anochi Ikareko, Anochi, as for me, I will, hyphenated, seek an encounter there. He turns ikare into seek an encounter, which is a great verb and a great thing for us to have in mind the next time we stand to Davin. We should all be seeking an encounter, which doesn't mean it's going to happen. We should be seeking it. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. 
For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.